So let's turn to Titus and chapter number 3. We've made a couple of mistakes with the book of Titus. And one of them is we haven't taken enough time to study it. It's a small book. It's got three chapters, but it's absolutely huge. And particularly this chapter, chapter number three, as I've studied it in the last few weeks, I've realised how much there is in it. Paul's been asking Titus to do a big job. Titus is in a, 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 an island called Crete, and there's a group groups of Christians there, and these Christians are living in a very antagonistic culture to Christians. It's not easy for Christians to live there. And so Paul's given Titus a big job to go and help the Christians stand true to the word of God, to live holy lives in the midst of a pagan society. And Titus has been given this big job to go to Crete and to encourage Christians to live like Christians in an anti-Christian world. And it's a big task that Titus has got. It's actually a very similar task to what Timothy has been given as well. Remember we've studied First and Second Timothy. He's at Ephesus and there's ten chapters of First and Second Timothy and there's only three chapters in, in Titus. So Paul is very plain speaking in Titus. He doesn't mince his words. He speaks very clear and very direct and very plain. And so he condenses a lot of big Bible truths down into a very few words. And so there's lots in these chapters here to read. So we're going to read uh, through chapter number three. And we can't do everything, as I say. I'm going to just pick out a thought in Titus number three that we'll concentrate on as we get towards the end. And it's the thought about doing good works. The Christian's responsibility to do good works. And the reason I'm doing that is because at the end of chapter 2, when we did chapter 2 last week, it says in verse 7, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. And then again in verse number um, verse number 14 he says this, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a, a peculiar people zealous of good works. And a peculiar people, well I mean we know what we are, we are peculiar, but it just means especially chosen out and ransomed people. And God has chosen these people zealous for good works. And when we start to read in chapter number three, it's already going to be prominent that Christians have got a responsibility to do good works. And, and you'll see that as we start to read in chapter number three. Let's start to read. Put them in mind. That's the Christians who are in Crete. So this is how Christians should behave themselves in relation to the world in which they live in. Chapter 2 has been all about how Christians should relate to other Christians, how we behave ourselves in the assembly. That's what chapter 2 is about. And now he's saying in chapter number 3, I want to teach you how Christians should behave in relation to the world around you, the world of non-Christians, the culture that you're in. This is how you should behave yourself. Put them in mind, put the Christians in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, and be ready to do every good work. To speak evil of no man, and be no brawlers, but gentle, showing meekness unto all men. For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, 
disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Saviour towards man appear, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. These are the three words that I just can't get over this week. He saved us. Isn't that just wonderful? He saved us. After all the what we were and all the world that we were living in, he saved us. That's wonderful. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. That expression, this is a faithful saying, is five times in Paul's writings, and it's, it's a way of indicating that this is a commonly accepted truth amongst Christians. It's a it's an ax- big word, axiomatic truth. An axiomatic truth means it's just so obvious you don't need to prove it, right? Okay, it's as as plain as the nose in your face. And when he says this is a, a faithful saying, remember, and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is another one that's just Paul saying for a Christian, this is just as plain as the nose in your face. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that you affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto all men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Basically, Paul's saying, listen, just avoid the, the beat the preacher questions. You know the beat the preacher questions, that the, the smart questions that people invent to try and trip people up, and they'll have you spending hours and days and months discussing things that have absolutely no practical relevance to your life at all, and all they're trying to do is waste time. Paul says, don't get involved in conversations like that. Here's what he says. A man that is a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject knowing that he that is is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself when I shall send Artemis unto thee or Tychicus be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis for I have determined there to winter bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently that nothing be wanting unto them and let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they may be not unfruitful. All they that are with me salute me. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be wish with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we conclude our little study in the book of Titus, we pray that these verses so packed, so full of truth, gospel truth, holiness truth, practical Christian living truth. We pray that as we skip down through them, Lord, it may be a blessing to us all. We want to be more like the Lord Jesus, 
And as we read and think and pray, may our lives be daily more conformed to him. So bless us, Lord, as we study these words now in the Lord Jesus' precious name. Just to reiterate, I want to focus your mind on the importance of Christians doing good works. Look, look what it says. Obey magistrates and be ready to every good work. I was never very good at sports at school, but I used to be quite uh, involved in the sprint. Remember the sprint, the 100 metre sprint? You get down in the blocks and they stay ready, steady, Go. And you get down and you prepare yourself and you're waiting for the, the gun to go off. And as soon as the gun goes off, your opportunities come to go. And he says, be ready to do good works. He says, Christians should be on their blocks waiting and looking for opportunities to do good things to people. Be ready to do every good works. And then in verse, verse number um, 8, and verse number 14, he uses the same expre expression, is the same in both those verses, to maintain good works. And the word maintain there means keep at it. Keep at it. Don't just be hot and cold when it comes to good works. Make good works the character of your life. And don't just do them sporadically. And don't just do them every now and again. Maintain the atmosphere of doing good. And we'll see in another part of the Bible that it says, do good unto all men. And then there's a wee bit at the bottom. Remember what it says? Especially those of the household of faith. So while Christians have got a responsibility to do good works to everybody, we have a special responsibility towards those that are believers to help them as much as we possibly can. So that's what I just want to sow in your mind before we go down through these verses. The Christian has a responsibility not only to be ready to do good works, and not just to do good works, but to do good works consistently and as the character of their life. Okay? So that, that's my big lesson. I guess there's nothing more designed to turn an audience off than a preacher saying something like this. Things in my day were much better than they are today. When I was a boy, you know, that just turns people off. They just don't want to hear that. It's like standard kind of TV viewing in the 1960s was a thing called All Our Yesterdays by a man called Leonard Sachs. And, and, and it was all about the, old, the good old days. Nobody ever remembered the bad old days. They always remembered the good old days, right? They remember that, right? But folks, I would have to say to you, and this is not me saying those good old days because there was a lot in the 60s that weren't good. The character of our nation now is dramatically different to it was 30 and 40 years ago. 30 or 40 years ago, the UK was at the tail end of 300 years of special Christian privilege. The, the UK was one of the centres of the Reformation, uh, and then it was Europe and other places. But for 300 years, the UK had special Christian privilege, didn't it? We were, we were privileged as Christians. And we got privileges as Christians. We were given prominence in Parliament and, and things like that. And, and Christians enjoyed special privilege. But 40 years later, that has gone. And I never imagined when I was a young man that before I reached heaven, things would change so dramatically. Because the 21st century 
right now is in, in the UK is a place of not just post-Christian culture, but anti-Christian culture. You might not agree with that. We can talk about it afterwards. But we don't live now where Christians get any privileges at all, right? Okay. And we're actually living in days that are much more akin to Bible days than we've ever lived in before. Because Titus was sent to a, 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 an island that was totally anti-Christian. There was a few groups of Christians, but the culture was totally opposed to Christian things. The, the lifestyle was immoral, the lifestyle was idolatrous, the lifestyle was self-centered, and Christians were going to be asked to live holy lives in a culture that was completely opposed to that. Can you see how relevant the book of Titus is? And Paul says to Titus three things in these chapters. Number one, Titus, go and encourage the Christians to live like Christians in a non-Christian world. And the way they're going to do that in chapter one is they're going to have good examples to follow. Remember that portion? Titus appoint elders that have got good Christian character. And these men have to be the teachers, and not just the teachers, they're to be the examples. So if we're going to live as a good little Christian community for the glory of God, Titus, make sure that there's good Christian leaders because there's going to be false Christian leaders that want people to follow them. And he talks about false false teachers, and he says have nothing to do with them. Make sure that you've got good Christian leaders. And we know that that's so important, isn't it? So important. And in chapter number two, we saw that, you know, if we were going to live as Christians in a Christian culture, the little assembly that Titus was to be in had to be properly ordered. Remember that? Old men had to take young men under their wing and old women had to take young women under their wing and it had to be properly structured and ordered. And we were told how to live amongst ourselves. And there's a lovely little expression in chapter two at the end of verse 13 that they may adorn the doctrine of God their saviour in all things. That's why, folks, little companies, assemblies of Christians are like little oases in the desert. Isn't that right? God looks down from heaven in grace upon the whole world. But isn't it wonderful when God can look down in the world and he can find little groups of Christians that are living for his glory? And a culture that says, no God, no, no Bible, no nothing. God has little wee groups of people that just meet for his glory and love the Lord Jesus and sing his praises. And that's adorning the doctrine of God in all things. But then Paul says to Titus, now Titus, listen, these Christians are going to have to interact with the world that they're living in. Right? And way back years and years ago, before the Reformation, there was the, the kind of philosophy of the way to be holy was to separate yourself from the world. And so there was monasteries and nunneries and, you know, you just, you just got away from all that. And the more you get away from all that, the more holy you would become. And if you read much about the monasteries and the nunneries, you'll discover that they actually became quite hotbeds of immorality and dreadful things. The Bible never advocates isolation for Christians. Matter of fact, the Lord Jesus said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. We must interact with the world. And Paul and the Lord said before he went into heaven, go ye into all the world. So Christians have got to interact with the world. Christians shouldn't be isolationists. We shouldn't just have our wee sort of secret societies and private clubs. 
that we retire to and just don't think and, and, and don't talk to our neighbours and don't talk to our workmates. And don't, but we've got to interact with the world. And Paul says this, listen, the way people's going to understand the truth of Christianity is if your life speaks out the glory of God. You see, Christians do a lot of talk. Isn't that right? We love to talk. But the true test of Christianity is not your talk, it's your walk. It's your walk. Are you living as a Christian? And one of the big lessons in Titus is this. Titus, people in the world are going to look at you and they're going to think, to be a Christian is the best thing possible. Isn't that right? Isn't that what people should say? People should look at Christians and say, I don't know what about them, but there's something about them that, that I don't have. There's something about them that I don't understand, but there's something about them I would really like to know. I would really like to know. Folks, do you believe that the best thing that could possibly happen to somebody would be to become a Christian? Do you believe that? I do. I do. Not because Christians are better than everybody else, but by knowing the Lord Jesus and being brought back to God and being able to glorify God in the way that we were intended to, that's what life was supposed to be about. And Titus, Paul said to Titus, you make sure the Christians in Crete know how they've got to interact with the world. They've got to interact with the world. So in this little thing, there's gospel ways. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a word in New Testament in the, the, the authorised version. It's called conversation. And it doesn't mean your talk. It means your life, your lifestyle, your manner of life. Listen to these words. Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another one. Seeing these things shall be dissolved. Peter, this is Paul now, Peter now, and he's saying, listen, all this world's going to pass away. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy manner of life? And Titus chapter 3 is saying, okay, Titus, Tell these people how they should be engaging with the culture. How can you engage with the culture? As a Christian, folks, it's really, really easy to get angry with the culture, isn't it? I mean, you get sad with the culture, don't you? You look at around, you see what's happening, and your heart sinks, doesn't it? That, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing, right? Because the Lord looked in Noah's day at the violence of men. And what did he say? It said it grieved him to his heart. And if we are broken-hearted with the state of our culture and society, how must God feel? There's nothing wrong with being sad at our society. But we mustn't become angry with our society. We mustn't become hateful with our, against our society. Christians are not angry, hateful, combative people. Christians are people who understand the grace of God in their life and just want other people to enjoy it as well. We shouldn't look at people that are doing heinous vile things and become hateful and angry with them, we should look at them with compassion and love and seek to reach them with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not hateful, angry, combative people. Christians are gentle, meek, and we'll see that as we go on. So here, here's what, what we'll get to. We've got to see in chapter 1 they need godly leaders. We've got to see in chapter 2 that they have to be godly in their company. And we've got to see now in chapter 3 that how they need to behave in the world. And when you read chapter 3, you'll discover this, that Christianity in the 21st century in the United Kingdom is totally counter-cultural. Totally counter-cultural. Christians are never asked in the Bible to change the world, to change their culture. 
They're just asked to live holy lives that speak to the culture. There's no cultural accommodation in Christians. And so we get to this chapter, and he, he reminds me of, here's four things I want you to remind me. If you're going to interact with the world, number one, look at this. You need to know how to interact with the authorities in the world. Right? Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to be obey magistrates, and then there's seven, there's seven characteristics about how we should be interacting with the authorities of the world. Right? Christians should not be protesters. Christians should, as best they can, be subject and obedient to the authorities that we're in. Christians are not troublemakers. Christians are peace-loving people. Now, we have to put a little uh, rider on that one. The Bible's really clear. If your authorities ask you to do something that's contrary to the word of God, or endorse something that's contrary to the word of God, the Bible is very clear. We must obey God rather than men, right? But that's an exceptional circumstance, even in our day and age, isn't it, really? In the main, in general, Christians should... Let's look at the words. Let, put them in... This is the first thing they need to be into the mind of. They must be subject to principalities and power, Okay? So if you're asked to pay your taxes on time, you know what you should do? You should pay your taxes on time, shouldn't you? Plus, 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 all the other things. Look at this. To obey magistrates. That's number two. Well, who are magistrates? Magistrates are those that are invested with the authority to make sure the rule of law happens in society. So if you get a parking ticket, what should you do? You should pay it. It's cost me a lot of money this last year, I could think. And if you go across the bridge in a vehicle that doesn't conform with a clean air thing, what should you do? You should pay it. doesn't mean you don't have to be grumpy about it. Of course, you shouldn't be grumpy about it. We should obey with joy. But you see the point. You see the point. We don't, we don't walk across the bridge with banners saying we're not paying. Change it. We're to obey magistrates. Look at this. To be ready to every good work. Christians should be known as those that are looking for opportunities just to do good in their society. To help people. To do what we can to improve people's lives. We should be known as people that want to do good things for people. We'll talk about that a bit like that in a minute. Look at this. To speak evil of no man. Don't badmouth the authorities. To be no brawlers but gentle showing meekness unto all men so our interaction with our world and our culture is we're not revolutionaries we're not rebels as, go, as far as the Lord allows us to be in accordance with his word we're good citizens of the country that we're in good citizens right okay we need people to look at us and think these are good people these are good people not because good works gains us anything with God, but it gains an opportunity to witness to the people that are around us. You see, we're not here to, we're not here to change this world. We know what's going to happen to the world, don't we? We know what's happening. And we can see what's happening. What's the biggest thing that we want folks to be in this world? 
saved. Isn't that right? According to his mercy, he saved us. And that's what we're looking for for everybody else. Okay. So the first thing we need to remember is when we're dealing with our culture, we need to know how to relate to the authorities. Number two, we need to remember what we used to be like. Right? Look, at, look what he says. For we ourselves were sometimes. Right? And then there's a whole catalogue of seven things that before we were saved we were. Right? Okay? You can go down through foolish, disobedient, deceived, servants of lusts and pleasure, malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. Um, we must never get to a position where we look down at the people in the world and think we're better than them. Because you know what? But for the grace of God, we would be just like anyone. Folks, I never walk on the streets of Newcastle and sit by Patrick. Remember Patrick yesterday? We were out in the open air yesterday and Patrick came to sit beside us. And Patrick's been in the hall. You know, Patrick, Patrick's Patrick. And he's been on the streets. And I never sit beside Patrick, but don't think that but for the grace of God, I could have been just like Patrick. There's nothing in me that could have stopped me from going down that road as well. Not a thing. Not a thing. I don't have a, a place of height and pride and responsibility. And Paul says, listen, if Titus, teach the Christians to make sure that they're not high and mighty in the world. Remember what you were before the grace of God came into your life. Remember what you were before he saved you. Remember that. And, and he says, listen, don't ever forget what you're like. Go down through Ephesians, Galatians, Romans. And Paul's constantly telling Christians, don't get a big idea of yourself. Remember what you were before you were saved. The only thing you can thank God for is his grace in your life. Not your merits or your, or, or your, 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 your works. The only thing you can thank God for in your life is the grace of God. And if we're going to interact with the world properly, we've got to remember that but for God's grace, we would have been just like any one of them. Any one of them. And never go into jail and open a jail door and go behind the door and think that I'm any better than the man there. Never once. Never once, folks. We must remember what we were and what God has done for us. Number three, We've got to remember the glory of the gospel. What God has done for us. Look, look, look what he says. But after the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, towards man appear. Right? What does that mean? It means never forget what the gospel has done for you. Never forget the kindness and love of God to you. Never forget... That you are the recipients of the greatest love that has ever been displayed. The love that would send Jesus Christ to the cross to die for you. Never forget the gospel. There's a kind of modern day movement. That's modern day movement, but it's been going amongst real Christians since uh, the beginning of the time. And it's this. We must always be preaching the gospel to ourselves, folks. We must always be preaching the gospel to ourselves. We must always be reminding ourselves about the glory of the grace and the kindness of God. And if we're going to interact with the world, we've got to remember what the gospel of the Lord Jesus is. Look what he says. And there's seven, so there were seven things to be a, in relation to the authorities. There were seven things about what we were in the past. And there's seven things about what the gospel means for a Christian. We just go down just very quickly. The kindness and love of God has appeared. Isn't that wonderful? Listen to this. Not according to our works of righteousness, what we have done, 
but according to his mercy he has saved us. We're the recipients of his kindness, we're the recipients of his love, we're the recipients of his mercy, we're the recipients of his salvation. By his mercy he saved us. It's now become an old-fashioned, almost out-of-date word to say as a Christian, I'm saved, I'm saved. But it's a Bible word, folks. I'm saved. He saved us. Two sides of salvation. What's the two sides of salvation? The negative side. The negative side is you get saved from something, don't you? The idea is a a, a rescue, a fire, or drowning, or, or something like that, and somebody takes you out of a bad situation. Isn't that right? And we must remember that by his grace and mercy, he's taken us out of a dreadful situation. He saved us. He saved us from the wrath of God against our sin. But there's also a positive side to salvation, isn't there? God doesn't just save us from, he saves us to. What does the psalmist say? He took me out of the horrible pit and from the miry clay. He set my foot in a rock. He has put a new song in my mouth. He's established my goings, even praise unto my God. Christians must stop thinking negatively about salvation. It's not what he saved us from, that's important, but it's also what he saved us to. And I've got a big thing, I need to be careful about the gospel just now. You know, the gospel's not about death, folks, the gospel's about life. That's what the gospel's about. The gospel's about bringing men and women out of death and into life. And if all the people ever understand about the gospel is death, we've missed the point. The gospel. I am the way, the truth, and the life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The word of life in the gospel. And look what else it says. By the washing of regeneration. Isn't that interesting? The washing of regeneration. What does regeneration mean? It means new birth, doesn't it? That's what new birth does, new birth. And what's the agent for new birth? What's washing? What's washing in the New Testament? Come on, that's an easy one. Washing of the water of the Word. The Word. The Word of God. We're We're born again. How are we born again? By the Word of God that liveth and abideth forever. Look what he says. And renewing of the Holy Ghost. Are you counting them? Mercy, kindness, love, regeneration, salvation renewing of the Holy Ghost the outward man perishes but the inward man is renewed every day by the Spirit of God the work of the Spirit of God in our life so real and so true and then he says this which he shed abundantly as through Jesus Christ our Saviour that being justified by his grace do you know what justified means? justified is a judicial term we won't take time to talk about it that we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So let's go through them. Kindness, love, mercy, uh, salvation, regeneration, renewing, um, justification, and made heirs. Isn't that a wonderful catalogue of what God has done for us in the gospel? If we remember what God has done for us in the gospel, we look at people in our culture, and we don't get angry with them. We think, come, come, come and see, come and hear, come and live. But then he says, you have to realize your responsibility to do good works in society. People need to look at Christians and think they're good people. 
So he says this, this is a faithful saying and I will now constantly affirm, and that's why I said, took time to explain why this is a faithful saying is so important. Paul's saying it's as plain as the nose in your face that you have believed in God, you might be careful, give attention to, make it a priority to maintain good works. These are good and profitable for all things. So, two minutes then I'll finish the promise, right? Let's be crystal clear here. Absolutely crystal clear here. Good works do not produce salvation. Okay? Have you got that? Good works do not contribute or produce salvation. It's even in this passage. Listen to this. But after the kindness and love of God our Saviour towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Plain as a nose in your face, good works do not produce salvation. But these verses teach us that good works must be the product and fruit of salvation. Have you got it? It's getting the cat before the horse if you get it around the other way. Good works do not produce salvation, but salvation produces good works. That's what he's saying. Be ready to do good works. Be careful to maintain good works. So what should Christians' lives be? Christians' lives should be lives of good works. Now that will take a variety of different forms, but, but let's think about this. At the corner of our drive, we've got a cherry tree. And you don't have to guess it's a cherry tree. Because every year it produces cherries. <laughs> okay? And either the neighbours come or the blackbirds come and take the cherries. Because it's a cherry tree and it produces cherries. Right? And there's no doubt it's a cherry tree because it produces cherries. But if I take cherries and put them on an apple tree, it doesn't make the apple tree a cherry tree, does it? The tree's still an apple tree. Even though you put cherries on it, it's still of its original character. So, good works don't add somebody's salvation onto somebody. But when somebody is saved, their salvation produces good works. That's why when you read James, it makes a lot more sense. James says, faith without works is dead. Listen to this. It's necessary and indispensable that good works should accompany a Christian's life. Right? I'm saying it again. It's a necessary and indispensable part of a Christian's life that they should do good works. Not as a means of salvation, but as an evidence of salvation. And that's what he's saying. Let these people know that you're real, folks. The only way people will know that you're real is not because they'll listen to your voice, because they'll see in your life something that's consistent with what you see in your, with your voice. There's tons and tons of verses we, we could get. Listen to these ones. Ephesians 2, and verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Another proof text about it, that works don't save you. But do you know what the next verse says? But you are his workmanship, created by Christ Jesus unto good works. Your good works won't bring you in, but once you're in, the good works will show you that you're in. And there's tons and tons. What are good works? What are good works for? What are good works? Charity? Well, non-Christians can do that. 
young man came to the Lord and, and he says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord talked to him and he says, there is none good but God. So good works are the character of God being displayed in your life. So if you want to see the character of God in action, if you want to see the character of works that's God manifesting his good works on earth, who do you look at? You don't look at me. Who do you look at? You look at Jesus. Do you know what it says in the Acts of the Apostles? He went about continually doing good. Stephen Harper and I are good friends, so I can say what I like about him. He's actually helped me in some ways. He introduced me to a reading scheme that takes me through the Gospels every three months. So every three months I go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John. So every single day of my life now I'm reading about the Lord Jesus. And it's been one of the best things that could have happened to me. Because just to see him and listen to him constantly, just to see him going about doing good works, listen to these things. See that you don't render anyone evil for evil, but follow after that which is good, both amongst yourselves and all men. As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. Therefore, unto him that knoweth how to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. So, works are the character of the Lord Jesus. You know, again, the good old days when I was a boy, sorry about that. But we, we used to have these bands that we put on our wrist. I still saw who I had it the other day. I saw one the other day. Who was that? Was it you? Oh, it's a French guy, Julian, that comes in on Monday. He's got this band that says WWJD. What would Jesus do? That's a good challenge, isn't it? I think there's actually something there. You know what it is? Not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? The whole Bible's full of examples of how he interacted with people. People who were religious, how he interacted with them. People who were broken, how he interacted with them. We just need to read about him and follow him. Peter says he left us an example to do what? To follow in his state. The good old days. We used to sing what were called choruses. Remember choruses? We had young folks meetings and we, we didn't have a hymn book. We had chorus books and we sung things that were smaller and pithier and maybe I mean here was one that was really really important to me to be like Jesus to be like Jesus all I ask is to be like him all through life's journey from earth to glory all I ask is to be like him folks that's what our world needs to see that's how we interact with the world. We interact with the world the way the Lord Jesus would have interacted with the world. Remembering what we were. Remembering what he's done. We look at our dear folks around us and we don't take a big stick and beat them because we would have been just like them but for the grace of God. We love them for the sake of the gospel. And that's a big thing. And good works means we should do good works. Somebody's got a need, folks. The Christians should be the first ones to step up and help. Isn't that right? And sadly, that's very often not the case. Sadly, very often Christians are the last ones to step up and help when there's a need. So may the Lord help us to take some of these things and go. Apologise for the very quick going down to the chapter. But have a read of it yourself and I'm sure you'll discover much more. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful 
We're grateful for thy word and for thy spirit. Grateful too, Lord, that even in our slowness and dullness, thou dost still teach us lessons from thy word. And we pray that these lovely lessons about being like Jesus might just be so much part of our thinking and character that neighbours and friends and family might look at us and maybe not understand, but they'll think, oh, Lord, we need to know. We need to know what's going on here. And we just pray that we might be effective in our witness. We thank too, Lord, of the gospel this afternoon at four o'clock. So easy just to preach at people. We understand that. And we do want to preach the word today, faithful to what thy word has said. Preach the word. We want to preach the word, Lord, but we want to be more than just preaching. We want to be those that demonstrate in a very real way the joy and blessing of knowing the Lord. And so help us, Lord, to reach out even this afternoon, we pray. We give thanks. And as we take a lot of refreshment, now afterwards, we give thanks for that too in the Lord's name.